Hello, and welcome to Astrology Hotline, the podcast where we answer all your burning birth chart and astrology questions. We are returning to our usual format uh, while we prepare to record the last of the uh, Astrology 101 series covering the aspects. So it's just me and Tristan today, and I'm kind of excited because it's been a while since we've done a regular episode, and I don't know, this feels nice. It feels like old times or something, even though it was only like, what, a few months ago? <laughs> Way back in the old days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the early days of Astrology Hotline. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a different time, even though it wasn't, but I was thinking about it, and we started that series basically during the, the Venus retrograde, and since then, I have, there's like a lot of like new ideas about like the oh, direction. Shit. Whoa. I'm warning you. <laughs> it's aggressive. not going to be good. Uh, also joining us today is Kitsu, the dog. Uh, Kitsu is not happy because <laughs> the hydro company is doing some work on my street right outside my window. Uh, there are people having noisy conversations outside the window, and he just thinks it shouldn't be happening. Uh, Kitsu <laughs> is against electricity. <laughs> yeah. He is against construction. He thinks the world should just stay as it is and uh, be without modern technology. <laughs> I uh, wish that we were doing the... Uh, we could just switch formats today and just do the pets episode. Or, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I want to see Kitsu's chart now because I... Feel like I have some feelings in, in common with Kitsu. <laughs> the the crotchety old man placements or, or something. Oh yeah, he's definitely <laughs> yep. Are you a crotchety old man? You were quiet for 45 minutes until we started recording. All right. Well, let's plow forward. Yeah. I think I was well, just to finish my thought about the uh, the Venus retrograde, and you know, we're out of the Venus retrograde, Venus is separating from Mars. And, you know, uh, it just feels like it's going to be different, different show or something. Anyway, how are you enjoying the Venus Saturn conjunction that's happening like right now? Actually, it just separated. You're loving it, right? It's squaring my moon. And yeah. it hadn't really occurred to me that that was happening until <laughs> today. Um, Forget about that moon sometimes. <laughs> Try to. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm in a weird place today. Uh, I think it's mostly just manifested as repairs needing to be done on, you know, the hydro lines on my street, a new hydro pole needing to go up and that, you know, delaying our creative endeavor, i.e. Mm -hmm. this podcast yeah. uh, somewhat. Um, I don't know, but I'm in like, I'm in a weird headspace. I've been working on getting back to making art and when I get into a creative headspace, it's sometimes a little obsessive <laughs> and everything else falls by the wayside. So I think I've been going a little too hard in, in <laughs> that direction. And I'm kind of noticing that today, like, okay, I need to sort of pull myself back a little and center myself and take care of everything else in my life too, be a little more balanced. So maybe that's how Venus Saturn conjunction is working out for me. It's just sort of like a hand on my shoulder saying, Hey, like don't get too uh, fixated on one particular thing and mm. blind yourself to everything else around you. Totally. I've been looking forward to the Venus Saturn conjunction specifically because it marks the end of the enclosure of Venus. Uh, 
sandwiched between, you know, pointy Mars and uh, the hard rock of Saturn. And I think you're, you're onto it where it's like, I don't know if you're Venus in that situation. It's like, I need to create, I don't know. It's like, there's like something, um, there's like a frantic sort of energy to, I think of Venus that is sandwiched between malefics possibly. It's going to play out in a lot of different ways, but I feel like I've been feeling that where it's like you're like, there's a push pull and like uh, the only way to like handle it is to like buckle down and like do, do the thing that you think is going to get you out of the situation uh, or distract you from, (laughs) from the tension. And uh, I feel like now the Venus is separating from that. It's like kind of getting back down to earth and like, I don't know, maybe creating from a more, relaxed, peaceful space, as opposed to like, I need to get something done right now. You need to need to create and get it all, get it all out, make up for lost time. Yeah. I think that's, you hit the nail on the head exactly there. Venus is normally pretty relaxed, but the feeling that I've been having around my creativity is that sort of urgent, high pressure feeling like it's sort of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's, it's sort of like, something is scratching. Like there's a tag in my sweater that's scratching against me and I have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to the sort of like relaxed creativity that, you know, just generates a sense of flow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which, I mean, it's been very productive. Uh, I think for me, I've gotten like a lot of, made a lot of stuff, gotten a lot of stuff out, but it's a lot of like, it's a lot of tense energy and it's a lot of staying up too late. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm probably inclined to do anyway, but um, I almost like feel some of that tension kind of coming off or it could just be the delightful presence of my, my good friend, Tristan. It's soothing me right now. <laughs> Making it awkward. Um, <laughs> That's me. I'm a, I'm a soothing presence. I'm soothed. I imagine, uh, and this might dip into some of what we're going to talk about for our first question, but uh, I feel like you are a soothing presence probably for for listeners as well. Because you don't okay. have, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was going to say you don't have the, um, a, the chaotic North Node quite as close to your ascendant as I do. So... Right, you've got it right on your midheaven. Yeah, that's right. Or the ascendant, duh. The yeah, it's not quite as close to your your midheaven. Is no, it is on mine. <laughs> it's well, there. And actually, it's pretty. It's fitting with something that I learned uh, that we will talk about as we get more into our first question. That's very very relevant to something that I learned about the North Node in in Vedic astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we should just go ahead and introduce our first question so yeah people know what the hell it is we're talking about yes yeah we're getting ahead of ourselves which is very north node but um listeners may recall uh that we did an episode actually right before we started the astrology 101 series um on it uh, i believe the episode was called venus retrograde and the south node and the question that we had regarding the south node you know, whether or not uh, the South Node indicates past lives in some way. We ended up talking a lot about just the South Node in general. And uh, Colin has asked us to 
sort of complement maybe our discussion on the south node with a discussion on the north node. Such a cancer. <laughs> yeah, so we're today we're going to elaborate. <laughs> if Kitsu will everybody allow had seen Tristan's face right now. <laughs> are you are you going to let us talk about the north node, buddy? No. They're banging outside now. It's not just talking. There's some kind of loud banging noise going on. Anyway. All right. Uh, I guess a good place to start is by defining what exactly the North Node is. Um, it is the point where the moon crosses the ecliptic. Um, and I know we've talked about this many times on the podcast, but just to review, the ecliptic is the sort of uh, circle we imagine around the Earth uh, that tracks the apparent path of the sun. From our point of view, it looks like the sun is moving around the Earth. You know, that's not literally true, but that's what it looks like. So the ecliptic is just that big circle around the Earth. And conveniently, you know, everything in astrology, the signs of the zodiac and uh, the planets, you know, roughly move along the ecliptic. But they're not perfectly lined up with the movement of the sun they'll go a little north or a little south of that circle and so the moon will always you know almost always be a little north or a little south of the ecliptic but um the nodes the north and south nodes are the points where in the moon's orbit it actually crosses that circle it actually touches it and intersects so the north node is the point where the moon crosses the ecliptic and starts moving north in latitude above the ecliptic, whereas the south node is where the moon crosses the ecliptic and starts moving south. And so you already get a little bit of a clue as to what the nodes might mean from this astronomical reality, because when the moon is above the ecliptic, it's sort of elevating the principle of the moon. So the North node is the really moony node. Um, and when the moon goes south of the ecliptic, the sun, the solar principle is elevated above the lunar principle. So with the south node, the solar principle is a little bit more elevated. Yeah, it's interesting since like the last time that we discussed this um, on the south node episode, uh, I started noticing in a lot of ancient texts, the the references to the moon and basically whether it's northern or southern in latitude, that it was just generally considered more favorable for the moon to be in northern latitude, which I thought was interesting. I, it's not something I ever thought about. It's not something they end up using interpretively at this point, but it sort of makes sense that like, yeah, the moon might be more, it's just more connected with the south node if it's you know, in southern latitude and a little more connected with the north node if it's in northern latitude. Yeah, definitely. And I think that uh, gets to the heart of the meaning of the nodes in a sense, because they are the points where eclipses happen. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of think of an eclipse as a cosmic showdown between the sun and the moon. Mm -hmm. When there is a lunar eclipse, we can't see the moon anymore. And when there's a solar eclipse, we can't see the sun anymore because the moon is blocking it. So there's almost, it symbolically almost feels like a power struggle uh, between two forces, you know, with the lunar force symbolizing material reality, earthly concerns, you know, physicality, and the solar principle being, you know, mind or spirit or more sort of abstract 
concerns. Yeah. And especially when you get into the Vedic tradition of the nodes, the nodes really end up signifying like a showdown between the luminaries, the the solar lunar bodies, and this other force. Um, the nodes themselves sort of become this their own uh, sort of entity and really end up signifying, um, which, I mean, shows up a lot in Western tradition as well, the overturning of authority figures, you know, going against the grain of what's established. Yeah, they're apocalyptic in their symbolism, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think I probably talked about in the South Node episode, and it's hard not to, you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. They're tied together inseparably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of apocalyptic symbolism involved in the nodes because, of course, you know, eclipses uh, were often in ancient times, you know, they would have been terrifying uh, before people understood what was actually going on. You know, in descriptions in apocalyptic literature of what the end times looks like, you'll often get images of the sky going dark or, um, you know, in, in the story of Ragnarok and Norse mythology, uh, you have the sun and the moon being consumed by a great wolf. Um, and that's sort of like consuming the light is a big, uh, that's a really uh, key image for the nodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes up very literally in Vedic astrology, where the sort of story behind the nodes, which are called Rahu and Ketu in Vedic astrology, is that of a, a demon that consumes the elixir of immortality, kind of defies the gods in this great cosmic conflict. And before Vishnu is able to um, kill this demon, uh, he's already consumed the elixir of immortality. So Vishnu cuts him in half and, but like both halves of his body are immortal at that point. So you just Mm -hmm. have this like monster that's been sort of cut in half and the North node is, is the head of that monster. So you get some of that, like consuming, consuming the light kind of symbolism. Oh yeah. And I love that story and it really captures the essence of the idea of the North node as this disembodied head that is really hungry and it consumes and it consumes, but it is not filled. It has no body for what it's consuming to, to be taken in as, as sustenance or to, to digest or to hold the consumed thing. So it's just keeps consuming and consuming and consuming. And that's, Really, the heart of the North Node is just more. It's hungry and it uh, pursues and acquires and it like wants to possess things, but it doesn't keep them. It doesn't. Uh, it's like the changes that the North Node tends to signify, sorts of things that it introduces aren't necessarily like the most lasting things in the world. They're sort of temporary. It, the North Node itself, it like switches gears a lot. It, it um, I don't know, when I think of like the North Node as a person and you get a lot of like really good Vedic descriptions of like who the North Node is, you know, who, like who they, they describe, they very much personify them. Um, I think of like, and I've met a lot of people like this who like you meet and they just sort of blast you with like, every idea that they have 
um, or they'll promise a bunch of things like they're like, oh, I have this idea about this thing. Do you want to do this thing? Let's do this thing. And like you get excited about it. And then the next day they're like, oh, what? What are you talking about? I'm doing this other thing today. Like I, I, like they'll it's almost like they forget that they'll have um, like in practical application, like the North Node. We'll talk about the positives too, but it, it would make it like a great con artist. Yeah, that that really fits. My image that I usually have for the nodes is of uh, Skull and Hati, the two great, great wolves in Norse mythology who constantly chase the sun and the moon. They never catch them, but they're always chasing them. And so it's like you you have the Vedic symbolism of a bodiless head that eats and eats and eats, but is never filled. And so there's this sort of impermanence or, you know, you think of the wolves skull and Hati where they never actually catch the thing that they're chasing, but they're mm. perpetually chasing it. Yeah. So that's the kind of energy that the North node brings. Oh yeah. You don't necessarily get what you want, but you will stop at nothing to get it. Absolutely. And it, it's, uh, I've heard comparisons to like the North node and the South node to like different planets, but then the North node, it can get associated with Saturn because it is it, very critical. It's kind of going against, you know, whatever the established is. It's like the anti-sun in a sense. Um, I tend to think of like, I like to think of the North node as like the anti-sun and the South node is the anti-moon. It's not really, it's the North node is very extroverted. It's very externally oriented uh, while the South node is very internal, but the North node is like always out uh, expressing, you know, out making things happen. It's very outwardly and uh, physically oriented, but it's doing so from a place of like challenging the established norm, the established authority, uh, kind of in an effort to overturn it and sort of take it for itself. Um, I was going somewhere with it and I went off on another tangent, but <laughs> it's, it's very North node. It's the, the, uh, the North node, you know, it doesn't, it's not very prudent. They say it's not, um, it doesn't necessarily plan its actions out. It's following hunger. It's following impulse. It's following what, you know, it desires in the moment, but that desire changes a lot and it doesn't, um, it doesn't stick. God, I wish I could go back to what you were saying. Cause I like, <laughs> no, no, that's it tied in, it tied in. <laughs> was there something that was tying into it? I'm just thinking about that. Uh, the shift in power, there's an anti-establishment, anti-authority energy that you were describing mm -hmm. is really key to how I understand the North node as well, both the nodes really. Um, and, you know, I think about the image uh, of the crucifixion where uh, there's an eclipse that happens at the moment uh, that Jesus is supposed to die. And, you know, symbolically in Christianity, that moment represents the end of an old era and the beginning of a new era. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and within early Christian literature, you have books like Revelation, which is all about how, you know, the Roman occupation of Judea is going to violently end and God is going to turn the world upside down and the oppressed will go free and it will be a good day for you know, the people who have been uh, kept under the thumb of systems of power for a very long time. There's that reversal, yeah. um, you know, whatever is in power now is no longer in power. It's a very, it's like the, the tower card in the tarot is very 
noty. Totally. That moment where the king gets knocked off of their throne. Yeah. Well, and, you know, very much in keeping with that North Node quality of uh, expanding beyond its means. <laughs> Since it's like, because it doesn't, you know, plan so much. It has like a goal of, say, overturning the authority. Uh, making me think of my complaint about um, the new Star Wars movies, <laughs> which I'm sorry to any fans. This is just my personal quarrel with it was that uh, in the first of the new trilogy, right? It was like you just had a, a new rebel alliance and a new empire. And my issue with it was not with the movies themselves. It was just like, wow, like the rebel alliance and the other set of movies, the original set, like what was their plan? Like their whole thing was to overturn the empire and replace it with what they might've had a better idea, but it like didn't really implement like they, they overturned the empire, but they didn't replace it with like a new structure. And uh, comparably I couldn't find in the first movie of the new star Wars. Like what, what is this new rebel alliances thing? Like they just don't like the empire. That's their thing. What are they going to replace the empire with when they take it over? Uh, or when, when they overturn it. And that's like the essence of the North node is like, I just want to overturn it. I want this thing to change. I want this thing to go away, but I don't have a plan for how, how uh, I'm going to implement a new, new regime afterwards. Well, comparably, you know, whatever else the North node is doing, it, it, it's going to treat it in the same way. And I find that I, you know, I'm not a, you're not going to have like a pure North node person. You'll find people that like emphasize it different ways but i uh i know that for me and it's like something i've always been aware of it's like i i will often i have to expand beyond my beyond the limits of like what i can maybe support sustain <laughs> and then have to consolidate afterwards like okay this is i've got to this point and now what can i actually hold on to let's figure that out but I have to sort of lean into that north node energy sometimes of just like i just have to expand i just have to get further and then we'll see how i can uh hold you know what i've gained yeah i think that's a really good point that you know the north node serves a purpose it has a function but it only goes so far mm -hmm. you know if you need something overturned uh dramatically and absolutely like that thing is going to completely end you need the north node that's oh, yeah. the energy of the north node but the north node is not then the one on the ground rebuilding things after they've all been overturned you know, that's somebody else's job. You need like Jupiter for that. You know, it'd be like, okay, yeah. well, what, uh, what is, what is our vision for a better world and how can that actually be implemented? You know, Jupiter will jump in and do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, the North node just wants to knock over the tower of blocks. Yeah. And then I'm trying not to swear <laughs> and then take off and knock down the next tower of blocks it sees. You should it's swear not more. Gonna stick around. <laughs> yeah. I should swear more. Yeah, because I swear too much. <laughs> um, well, we only get so many, right? Like I know we overdo. If we it don't we mark gotta... the podcast as explicit, we only get one f bomb per episode or something, or we have to make that's, it explicit. That's right, and I think that uh, this could be old. I don't know if Apple still does this, but like on Apple Podcasts, if you mm, are marked as explicit, like you don't show up anywhere on their charts. That's frustrating. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's yeah. still the case, but um, anyway, uh, well, 
yeah like the the when you're talking about the north node it's like that sounds a lot like mars right and and it, it's i would say that it's more like mars than it is like saturn where you know mars its intention is to it destabilizes things to get things moving and the north node has that quality as well uh and it has kind of a jupiter quality of creating expansion totally expands but it expands things like you would blow blow up like a blimp or a balloon it's not you know a solid sort of expansion it's a an expansion that is very prone to being unstable and doesn't necessarily have stuff backing up uh what what it is that's expanding i think of the stock market a lot when i think of the north node and my partner megan who has been uh really into the stock market lately and doing great by the way uh the stock market has a lot of it does seem to move when significant things are happening with the nodes but it is like sort of that like the price just rises suddenly um based entirely on people's expectations it's not necessarily tied to the value of the company it's tied to oh well everybody just bought a bunch so now the value is up but that value because it's based on something that is very fickle such as people how people are feeling about the stock at any given moment it's not going to stay there it's going to probably drop and that's like a very different kind of expansion than say jupiter which will like slowly build up a company and you know expand at a good solid sustainable pace north node is rapid and then collapses up and, and down, just, up and down i'm i'm hungry there it's thoughtless <laughs> yeah <fucker. laughs> yeah how can i make some quick easy money totally regardless of the consequences yeah it's not the most moral no. uh thing <laughs> it's really i mean it's at the center of the nodal axis is really just struggle for power and conflict yeah um you know on a very large scale they're very political in that sense um and you know in your own chart when you're looking at the axis of the south node and the north node like that is a place where there is some kind of tension or struggle for power going on in your own chart um you know some of the images for that are a knight fighting against a dragon you know that sort of medieval romantic image of uh someone struggling against a dragon mm -hmm. um you know the Another struggle in Norse mythology that's very noty is Odin's struggle against Fenris. You know, and Odin oh, yeah. being the leader of the gods is sort of like representative of the dominant uh, power mm -hmm. in the world uh, and the sort of organizing principle of civilization and order. And Fenris is this like wild wolf represents, you know, what is untamed, um, what is chaotic. And during Ragnarok, Odin and Fenris uh, get into a fight and end up killing one another. Fenris consumes Odin and uh, Odin's son avenges him against Fenris. And so both end up dead. Um, there's those, those kinds of struggles uh, that are at the heart of the North and South node. And I think those kinds of struggles are inevitable um when we're too dualistic in our thinking you know it's like if there is good then there must also be evil and the two of them must perpetually struggle against one another mm -hmm. so i think one of the things that can help um you know trouble related to the nodal axis is uh 
learning to see outside of duality, um, being able to sort of integrate um, the opposite. Because in a conflict, there are these sort of mirror image perceptions that happen where one side thinks that the other side is guilty of all the things it considers to be the worst and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Both sides are kind of thinking like, oh, you know, the, the enemy is responsible for all of the most morally reprehensible things in the world. And um, my side is somehow immune to those kinds of things. Um, there's a sort of human tendency to sort all incoming information into binaries or opposites of some kind. And that is useful in a lot of ways, but can also really severely limit us and create these sorts of internal conflicts within ourselves, right? Where it's like, if, if these kinds of thoughts or these kinds of feelings are good, that means the opposites are bad. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if feeling, um, happy when I see somebody else achieve something important to them is good then feeling jealous is bad. And you've created this internal conflict between jealousy and, you know, happiness over someone else's accomplishments. And if you're able to sort of break outside of that dualistic way of thinking about yourself and you're able to stop sort of attaching those value judgments to those feelings where it's just like, this is a, a feeling of happiness for someone else's uh, gain. And this is a feeling of jealousy and those they're, they're not good or evil. They're just what they are. They're just feelings. Yeah. Um, that can really help sort of resolve some of that inner conflict. And I think like that kind of inner conflict can be, um, you know, what the nodes might represent in a natal chart where, you know, you look within yourself for certain things in your life and you're like, where am I pitted against myself or where are certain aspects of my life pitted against each other? And, you know, both these sides of my life are like, well, the only way that I can succeed is for the other one to fall. And that kind of black mm. and white thinking is actually what's causing the problem. So to sort of resolve the nodal tension, it's like, instead of being the knight trying to behead the dragon, maybe be like the person on the strength card who's gently subduing the lion, you kind of integrate the lion into a more holistic view of yourself instead of rejecting or trying to kill the lion. Mm -hmm. No, that's a really good point. Uh, because the nodes really do carry that, like that polarizing function, which has a purpose for sure. It's like if you, you know, sometimes in order to change something, you have to, to take on like the agency of its opposite to, you know, to kind of rail against it. Like, that thing is my enemy. I have to stop this. So like, if you have a, a drinking problem, you might don the hat of, you know, a person who is just totally against alcohol. Um, in fact, I, I know people like that, that, you know, they will take on these sort of very polarized roles of like, oh, I don't do that thing anymore. I hate that thing. That thing is the root of all evil and it's extreme, but it helps uh, them get through the thing to stop doing the thing that they need to stop doing. You know, they turn it into an enemy. They turn yeah. it into the, the polar opposite thing. Um, yeah. And that's actually a good way of looking at the nodes, the North node, maybe in particular, because I, I definitely know people like that. And like, I know when they're in that mode, that they're not going to stay in that mode. 
it's like temporary. I know I've even done that to some degree because the North node is very good at creating the appearance of something. Like I, I imagine the North node as a person as if they want to say they want to become king, right? Of a country, they will get themselves some king robes. They'll get themselves a king crown and a little scepter and they will walk the walk and talk the talk, but they probably don't actually have any, they don't have any land. They don't have, you know, a kingdom. Um, but because they're able to, to push themselves through the door and uh, to some degree put on the airs, right. Or maintain the facade or, you know, put on the appearance of the role that they're trying to play that can actually take them a long way. And Actually, I really am thinking of the phrase fake it till you make it, which is a concept I've leaned on in a lot of situations. Like you're not maybe feeling like you belong in a certain role, maybe for good reason, because you have no experience in it, but like you have to start somewhere. So you just, you have to sort of fake, you know, your confidence in, <laughs> in your ability to manage the situation in order to have opportunities to be in the situation to begin with. And yeah, I think that the North Node plays a critical role in in that kind of thing. I mean, it pushes you forward. It pushes you out of your comfort zone, um, which is often very necessary. Yeah, yeah, there's a big push. I think another key word that I would attach to the North Node, uh, to both of the nodes, uh, is impermanence. Mm-hmm. And with the North Node specifically, when you think about the about what a a hungry stomach is um it's a really good symbol for impermanence the stomach is a great symbol for impermanence the mouth Mm. is a great symbol for impermanence because no matter how many times you eat you never just eat one meal and then you're good once and for all you have to keep eating it never stops your stomach will empty and you will need to eat again it's an endless cycle you're never fully satiated mm-hmm. never permanently satiated and that's how everything in life is there's no sort of perfect permanent uh satiation in any area of life and there are a lot of ways of dealing with the reality of impermanence um you know you can find uh way of sort of staying in the center of that endless wheel of, you know, circumstances going up and down, um, you know, where whether you're hungry or full, uh, it doesn't make much of a difference to you because you're just so centered that, Mm. you know, no matter how much things change around you, you're always sort of, sort of like, um, centered in, in some kind of inner peace, you know, maybe through meditation practices. Um, but South Node is really good at that. Yeah, that's well, that's what I was learning. Um, I was watching the KRS channel on YouTube, which is a Vedic, a really popular Vedic astrology channel that some of our listeners might already be familiar with. Um, and uh, the host of that channel talks a lot about the nodes, and yeah, he mentioned that that the north node is very materialistic, Mm -hmm. and the south node is a lot more spiritual because the south node is more about letting stuff go, the north node is acquiring, the south node is letting it go. Um, which in a lot of systems of spirituality, letting go is sort of, you know, one of the, the techniques of a spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that approach to navigating the reality of impermanence, but 
another way of navigating impermanence is allowing it to spur you into action, which is a very North node thing to do. Um, there's a prayer that I read uh, during eclipses uh, that is a prayer to Hati and Skull, the two wolves that chase the sun and moon. Um, and this poem talks about how it, it's a prayer asking Hati and Skull to remind us that we need to, to quote the poem, devour life as a, as a banquet, mm. um, you know, to approach life with ecstatic haste. Um, I'll, you know, include a link to this poem in the show notes. But when you recognize that nothing lasts forever and all things come to an end, which is something that eclipses remind us of, at some point the lights go out. Yeah. We remember to relish the moment that we're in and the things that we have and to sort of approach our lives with a little bit more passion and, and a greater sense of haste, um, you know, to not want to waste time uh, on, you know, worrying about pointless stuff. Um, so the nodes can be, I think, a reminder of that. And maybe, you know, potentially an indication in a birth chart of like, hey, you know, these areas of life um, may be areas of life where you really have to confront the reality of impermanence, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether things are just up and down for you in those areas of life. And so it's a little more obvious to you um, or you have a great experience of loss or gain and then loss in that area of life. Oh, or yeah. if it's just sometimes it's just that you spend a lot of time in that area of life. And so because of it, you're more aware of everything about that area of life, including its impermanent qualities. So in whatever way that manifests, there's this confrontation with impermanence that, you know, perhaps happens in the sign signs and houses that the nodes occupy in your chart. And that can be a reminder that like, Hey, don't take what's in these houses for granted. You know, like if the North node is in your seventh house, like don't take your relationships for granted. Mm -hmm. If the North node is in your ninth house, like it is for Kyle and I, you know, don't, don't take knowledge for granted, right? <laughs> like you only have so much time to learn everything you want to learn. Um, yeah, but which, also don't, know, don't think that you can actually learn yes. everything. <laughs> That's where <laughs> That's... the North Node becomes <laughs> yeah. a problem where you over, yeah. you can easily overdo it with the North Node. I feel like I find myself, I want to know all of the stuff about this every bit. And like, there is none, not, no such thing. No, it's not possible. And yeah, that is the danger. And that is the danger of that approach to impermanence. Sometimes we can make ourselves anxious going like, oh God, if I, you know, if I miss out on this moment, it's never going to happen again. And you overthink it and you actually end up ironically ruining it for yourself when your intention was to try to enjoy it more fully. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you're bringing up that end of it because that is like what, I think that is what you need to do with the nodes. And it's all about finding that balance. And you're going to do that with any planet or any like real topic that is being indicated is you're going to try to find, you know, the, the middle path with it. Um, Cause the North node and, and the South node, like they're, they do indicate impermanence. They do indicate like things fluctuating, coming and going and coming and going. It's like being um, actually like a lot of celebrities have very prominent North South node placements Then the nodes usually like angular or like, you know, figured to a planet really tightly um, not all of them, obviously, but that makes me think of that, like what you must, I imagine, deal with as a celebrity is that up and down element of the career. You know, it's being yeah. the flavor of the month, one month, and then everybody hating you because of something you tweeted the next month. 
And then the month after that, you know, your new album drops and everybody loves you again. Like it, it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's stuff coming up and down. And the only way that you find peace in that is by not being overly attached to it, not being overly attached to the, the ups and downs. Yeah. Again, maybe to use the stock analogy, it's like, know what your long-term plan is. <laughs> the Northern Node is not going to be very good at that. It's, you know, it's about now and you can use that element, but just use it in concert with other things, you know, have a plan <laughs> and, and try to stick to it because when you're watching your stock go up and down all the time, you know, you might panic sell or you might think that, you know, ah, this one's about to go up. I'm going to put it all on GameStop and I'm going to make a fortune and maybe you will, or maybe not, you know, those things rise and fall often and bringing a moderate approach to that energy is important. Yeah, I think the celebrity example is a really good one, especially since they are the lunar nodes. They are the nodes of the moon. And so although there's some solar symbolism to the nodes, because it, you know, it's where the moon intersects the ecliptic. So there is that sort of like blending or struggle between the solar and lunar principles. They are ultimately the nodes of the moon and carry a lot of lunar symbolism. And the moon, you know, represents material reality and what is necessary to sustain life in a material sense. So yeah. um, you think of celebrity, there's sort of an overabundance of what is needed to sustain life, <laughs> which is very North node. Yeah. But there's also that impermanence, that cycle of, you know, people's fortunes rising and falling, you know, one minute they have like disgusting wealth and the next minute they're bankrupt because, oh, yeah. you know, they spend too, like, there's a lot of danger involved in celebrity for sure. Oh yeah. Um, which does feel very North node. And just getting, yeah, too caught up in the, the constant change of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you need finding the still place, you need some detachment to navigate that successfully without mm -hmm. getting, you know, without losing yourself in it. Yeah. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, when you were talking about, you know, moderation, because uh, the North Node is not a very moderate thing, but astrology in general i've noticed as a system really seems to like one of the major lessons of astrology as a whole is moderation and balance it's like everything you're looking at in astrology you're kind of trying to prevent things from going too far to either extreme like everything exists in a counterbalance with something else um you know the north node has its south node the south node has its north node the sun has the moon and so they're always existing in balance and, and the nodes are always in opposite signs. Um, and in evolutionary astrology, uh, which is a tradition of astrology that really centers the nodes, it said that if there are excesses or ailments or struggles to be found in one sign, the solution is to be found in its opposite. Yeah. Well, there's even like that, that shows up a lot in um, things outside of discussions on the nodes, nodes in like, ancient techniques like the uh zodiacal releasing i know is like part of that that loosing of the bond period is the idea is that it switches to the sign opposite it because at least and this is what drives me nuts about how uh astrology will get talked about in a lot of traditional texts is like sometimes the opposition is like this where it's it's you know it's bad it's hostile 
But other times they're like, no, those two signs, like they're interacting with each other and they create something new, you know, like that, that's like their dynamic fertility of the, the oppositional signs. Um, I tend to lean on that end of it. Anyway, that's a North node tangent. Um, <laughs> and see, and then I forgot where I started with it. You know, I have uh, just, you know, for, for listeners to get some context, hopefully I won't always be quite as bad uh, in this area as I am now. I have Neptune like right on my North node right now. And it was not a transit I had paid attention to really. I was like, oh, what's that? Like, you know, it's Neptune and the nodes. Like, I feel like you need, I don't know. I hadn't really paid much attention to transits to the north to your nodes, but now I'm thinking about it, and I was like, "Whoa, yeah!" Like I feel like I'm I'm chasing all kinds of like Neptunian ideas. Oh wow! Right yeah, now. and like finding like the center, stable place internally has been important. I've been like getting back into meditating and stuff, and like, um, I feel like Neptune, dude. It's taking me down roads. Uh, and then I forget how I started <laughs> down the track that I, <laughs> that I got on. I'm like, wow, this is take it slow. This is uh, very illuminating for me because I also I haven't really been paying a ton yeah, of attention to transits to my nodes. And Neptune's also going over my north node. And oh, my God, over the last few years, have I just been switching directions all over the place <laughs> and pursuing whatever is in that direction with uh, gusto, but, uh, not really having a ton of staying power yeah, um, and not really being sure, like, am I going to be fed oh, by yeah. whatever it is that I am undertaking? Um, and I think maybe the lesson here for me is that ultimately whatever path you go down, you are not going to be satiated by it. Yeah. You're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to be, um, you know, sort of fed in the way that you, want to be fed, um, that there isn't just sort of like one pursuit, especially like career wise. Cause oh, for yeah. you and I, the nodes are, uh, hanging around and Neptune, uh, transiting, uh, around our mid heavens. Um, like I'm thinking of that in terms of career, like it doesn't really matter what career I choose. The career itself is not going to bring me peace and satisfaction. It's doing like the South node stuff. It's learning to let go and Mm -hmm. learning to cultivate healthy detachment and concentrating on spiritual practices. That is what is going to ultimately sort of allow me to tolerate the endless hunger that comes with being a living being. Oh yeah. Well, so maybe just like let go of this idea that I'm yeah. going to be like, this is going to be the one thing that's going to make me totally <laughs> fulfilled. And I'm going to have a sense of overwhelming and then purpose I'll be and that's never going to change. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's just not realistic. That's not how it goes. And so you can like pursue something that you love without making it into everything. And then you end up kind of ruining that thing. Cause you've expected too much from it, you know, oh, yeah. you've expected more than it can deliver. And I'm thinking that's, I think that's my North node journey right now i'm sort of watching out for the neptune jupiter conjunction that's happening on uh because tristan was born a month before me so we basically have the same node and i know i've had a a pattern of thinking this way pursuing things in this way historically uh where it's like you're looking for the happy ending at the end of the movie where you walk off into the sunset yeah moment where like you know you you know that the story continues afterwards but from the movie's perspective, it's like, oh, and everything was fine afterwards. Like, that was it. And like, ah, 
And I feel like the Jupiter-Neptune on the North Node, our North Nodes, is going to be like, maybe thinking that you found that or oh yeah, seeking that out really hard. But like you were saying, I mean, it, it's the hunger and the, sat- uh, the, the emptiness the nodes point to. It's a fixture of life, of existing. Like you eat, you're full, and then you're hungry again. And like you're doing it over and over again. Like you're never fully satisfied. And that life is really the process of moving forward and, and continuing to do the things. And, you know, there isn't just like a one point. There isn't like a goal almost. <laughs> it's like, a, and I think that might come up maybe even. Uh, we're talking about ourselves too much maybe, but the, <laughs> the North Node in the, the ninth house is like, you know, uh, because the North Node is so heretical, the nodes are, they're, they're, they're not, they're counterculture. They're retrograde all the time. They're always moving That's right, against yeah. the green. Uh, they, it's like, no, this belief system, not enough. Searching for more, deeper, deeper. I will find the meaning and I will find the, the singularity of happiness that will stay within me forever. But that doesn't exist. That's not real. So, um, and maybe that's one of the things I wanted to say about the North Node. And I feel like I've been hearing a lot more moderated speech on the nodes, but I remember getting into astrology and very early on being introduced to the idea of like the North node being what you're supposed to go towards in your life. Like that's what you're supposed to go after. That's the thing that will give you fulfillment. Yes. And while I do hear a lot of, you know, moderating speech on that South node, you go away from that. You don't want South node. Um, Don't do that. I mean, go after your North node, but just recognize it for what it is that it's not, it's a dragon that you're always going to be chasing and that you're never going to win it. It's not going to fulfill you. It'll be fun and it'll be chaotic and cause a ruckus, but it'll keep life interesting and spicy, but it's not going to give you that long-term permanence, that, that gratification that maybe you think it will. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that has also been, um, you know, probably the idea that I run into the most commonly is that the South Node is what you are supposed to be letting go of completely. And the North Node is what you are supposed to be pursuing. And they certainly like they have that energy of, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. you want to let go of what's around the South Node and you want to gain what is around the North Node. But the real principle is like everything else in astrology about balance. It's about finding that spot right in between the nodes um and yeah the the north node is not sort of like the answer to ultimate purpose there might not be an answer to ultimate purpose and that is perhaps the lesson of the north node is that when you know we think we've figured out like this is the thing that gives my life ultimate meaning a couple of years down the road some circumstance in your life is going to change how you think or feel about that yeah yeah what does it i mean they say that the the joy of the journey is, is in the journey or whatever. Oh, I, I <laughs> not in the destination. Is. Is yeah. Yeah. And the North node is not about that. The North node is about the destination. Oh yeah. It wants the results. It wants to get you know? there. It doesn't really. And that's maybe one of the more mundane things is that like the North node is very results oriented and it's very good at identifying like, okay, what of all this blah information do I need to get the result that I want? And that can be really nice for sorting through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will pass things that maybe were important. It's actually 
an issue that I'm remembering an argument I got in with my sixth grade algebra teacher, sixth grade, eighth grade algebra teacher about me not wanting to show my work because I, uh, I know how to answer the question. I can answer it in my own way. I don't need to show my work. I don't want to show my work the way that you're telling me to show my work because I already know the answer to the question when I look at it. I don't want to do that. And then, you know, got in a huge argument about it, got taken off of the, uh, the Virginia trip that we had. Oh no. <laughs> you couldn't go on the but field I, trip. <laughs> I couldn't go on the field trip. Uh, no, it's good for that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, speaking I of ended up realizing reluctantly. Yeah. Like, no, doing it my way. Um, I ended up realizing really reluctantly later on that I was like, Oh yeah, I see why I had to like go through the formality of doing the problems and all this and solving it in a specific way. Because now that we're further along, I actually need all those tools to solve these questions, these, these math problems. And now yeah. I don't know how to, because I refused to, <laughs> to take the, uh, the conventional, um, path to listen to the authority figures well and it's it feels like another you know nodes in the third and ninth house kind of lesson because that is education <laughs> it's like that lesson oh, yeah. and you know i don't want to listen to my teachers because the nodes are rebellious but every now and then like they're actually you know telling you something useful and you might miss out on that if you're just like a rebel without a cause and constantly yeah uh, trying to defy authority for the sake of defying authority because you don't want to feel controlled by anything that's, uh, I think Rebel Without a Cause is the perfect description of the North Node. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm thinking now of, you know, having the North Node in the ninth house and my approach to spiritual systems where, you know, I think, oh, this one's going to provide me with everything that I need to live, you know, a, a fully realized life or however you want to describe it. And then turns out it doesn't have everything you need. And then, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to find the perfect one. And it's just like that endless searching, like the North is just constantly searching, oh, yeah. searching. It's the endless seeker that never finds what it's seeking. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like the only cure is to sort of recognize, like at some point you got to settle on something that, you know, is not going to satisfy you completely, but like, it's, you know, going to meet enough needs to be worth it. And it's not going to fit like a glove. Um, and yeah. I, so I'm kind of thinking, you know, knowing that that's my experience with the ninth house, I'm thinking about the North node and other houses, like in the seventh house, you know, is there a tendency to, mm. um, you know, constantly be searching for the one, you know, or the perfect, <laughs> the, the perfect the partner, perfect yeah. partner or the perfect relationship structure, like maybe, you know, um, the most ideal relationship structure where it's like, well, the problem with relationships is, that, you know, people shouldn't be monogamous or, you know, they should be monogamous, but they need to be monogamous in this sort of way. And you're sort of like finding the perfect relationship structure that is going to meet all of your needs. Um, mm -hmm. But there's that like North node restlessness, you know, where you chase something like a dog chasing a rabbit. Yeah. And I think maybe with the North node, um, especially for me and for you, Tristan, in the ninth house, right, is like kind of embracing that element of the idea that like you're never um, going to get to the end, like accepting that and just sort of using that energy to just make you a really well-read, interesting person that knows a lot about a lot of different stuff, I think is like the best way to use North Node in, say, the ninth house. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's in your tenth house, like, 
you know, maybe you have to switch careers a lot and maybe you have to do a lot of different things to, to feel fulfilled in your career. And that could be like what your, your reputation is based on is doing lots of different things or incorporating lots of different things. Um, having lots of different friends, if it's in the 11th house, you know, associating lots of different groups. I think there's ways that you can use the North node in positive ways. It's just when you let go of the illusion that you're going to get to the, the finish line and like win the fulfillment trophy. I think that's a really good way to put it. I think that's a good way to wrap up on the, sort of the moral of the North node. I think the only thing I wanted to finish with the North node too, is just the idea of, um, cause we were talking about punk rock in the South node last time. And it was something that I was thinking a lot about. And, uh, while with the South Node, you get that, like, you know, they're both have different approaches to being rebellious. This, with the South Node, it's like, yeah, you get like the spiky shoulder pads and like the grungy clothes, <laughs> right? Um, but the North Node, you get the like, you know, that, oi, like, fuck, you know, the queen or whatever, uh, anarchy and shit. Like, you're going to get that uh, more outwardly expressive element. So I think the nodes, period, are just are, are punk rock. Yep. And the thing is with the nodes, it's like they're always opposing each other. They're always interacting. So if you have it on an angle, you have it the other one on the other angle. If you have it on a planet, then you have the other node opposing that planet. So it, it's like you, you get both. Yeah, you can't escape both sides of it. It's always a push and pull. Yeah. Well, then are we ready to move on? To our um, next question or, oh, go ahead. Uh, I just want to mention that I will include... Uh, link in the show notes uh, with a bunch of other resources about the nodes if people are interested and also just some like some stuff from uh, mythology and religion too that's relevant like the story of Rahu and Ketu or um, the stories of the wolves from Norse mythology if you know you uh, you're in the mood to think more about the nodes those stories uh, can help you kind of enter into them through like a narrative means Um, And like some good articles that I found for free online that get into, you know, all of the background of them, um, how they're used in different forms of astrology, Um, the really good article that uh, I discussed in the South Node episode um, by Curtis Manwaring, where he talks about a case for um, the nodes as symbols of reincarnation in Hellenistic astrology, sort of like bridging uh, between Hellenistic and evolutionary astrology. And there's a lot of just really cool info and, and thinking about the nodes in the article. So if you are hungry, like the North node for more, um, click that link and I'll have a little compilation of resources available for you. Hello, Kyle here. I'm here with Tristan. I'm here with Tristan and Shay to tell you a bit about the three of wands tarot and astrology club. Yes, every week I'll be hosting a discussion on a different tarot card and we'll be relating the cards to our personal experience. So that will be held on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And Kyle and I will be hosting a discussion on current astrological transits every other week where we can share our experiences and learn together how best to work with the topics and themes the stars are pointing to. So that room is called the Astrology Report, and it will be happening every other Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. And we're possibly adding some new discussions and new rooms to the club in the future. Uh, You can join the Three of Wands Club by downloading the Clubhouse app and searching Three of Wands, or simply follow the link in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. 
and I am ready for the next question, which I am responsible for introducing. So should I just go right ahead? Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Our next question comes from Angie, who has been through one health crisis after another since early 2020. Combined with what feels like a midlife crisis and single parenthood, she has had enough. She'd like to know if there's anything in her chart that points to this and if there's an end in sight. So we will have a copy of Angie's birth chart in the show notes if you want to look at that uh, to follow along with our interpretations. Yeah, well, thanks so much for sending in your question, Angie. I'm um, sorry you're having such a hard time lately. I think that, you know, going over your chart we'll do here um i think i have a sense of like where some of these experiences might have been pinged in your chart but maybe we'll just give a a brief overview of the chart oh that's a good idea so for angie we have libra rising um with mars and pluto hanging out uh pretty close to the ascendant at 13 degrees libra we have venus the moon and mercury up in the 10th house in cancer the sun in Leo, pretty close to the North Node, around 15 degrees in Leo. And then Jupiter and Saturn in the 12th house in Virgo. We've got quite a, a cardinal sign party going on. Yes, very that, cardinal. All that stuff going on in Cancer and the Ascendant and Mars in Libra. Although I think in terms of timing, uh, it's the stuff going on in Virgo in the 12th house that is most relevant uh, over the last few years, starting in uh, 2020. So using the technique of annual perfections, which highlights a particular house every year, it's, you know, the perfection year starts on your birthday and ends on your birthday. Uh, So your birthday or yeah, your birthday is sort of your personal astrological new year. So Angie's fourth house perfection year would have started uh, August, 2019, I believe. So early 2020 would have been, uh, Angie's fourth house perfection year. Angie has Capricorn in the fourth house. So this would be a year ruled by Saturn and it happened to be, uh, 2020, of course, uh, during the pandemic, we had Saturn, Jupiter and Pluto, all hanging out in Capricorn. So that whole cluster of planets would have been going right through Angie's fourth house. And the fourth house is like uh, one of the more active uh, central houses in astrology and fourth house years, you know, can be described as a sort of turning point, often very um, eventful, often sort of indicating the end of an era in some way. There's a sense of endings uh, with the fourth house. Um, Mm. as well as, you know, obviously connections to one's origins, family, home, issues of property, issues of, you know, private and inner life and all that kind of stuff can be really relevant. But, um, you know, I think the fact that fourth house years do represent that sort of a turning point, uh, might be relevant here and definitely, you know, having Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn transiting through there, um, would have been really relevant as well. I know Jupiter yeah. is not super happy about being in Capricorn and it was, 
it was not a good year for joy um, or, you know, the kinds of things that Jupiter represents a sense of, you know, well-being and optimism and all that early 2020 was not a high point for any of those things. Yeah, it, it was quite a conflagration in Capricorn uh, in early 2020. And just having that as your activated sign is going to bring a lot of those topics, <laughs> the themes um, signified by those transits uh, to you personally. It's going to be showing up more vividly in your life. And while it may not have been like necessarily directly tied to COVID, it sounded like it was kind of proceeding it a bit. All that heavy Capricorn stuff was happening in your activated sign, like I said. So it's showing up in your life visibly. It's an angular house, so it's going to be visible, not just in like the fourth house specifically, but throughout your life. And then one of the things that we would probably look for generally, um, certainly I would, is how the themes of the transits happening either to uh, the house that's being perfected or the ruling planet, Saturn in this case, uh, how those transits tie into themes already in the chart. Mm -hmm. And like Tristan mentioned earlier, we have Jupiter and Saturn in the 12th house. And mainly when we're looking at issues around health issues, health problems, my eyes immediately drawn to, you know, what's going on with the sixth house. And while you don't have anything natally in the sixth house, Jupiter rules your sixth house and it, it is in the 12th. So there's already sort of an indication in the chart that there could be some issues around health problems because the 12th house is a house that deals with things that tend to work against you in life. So while the 12th house is a little more associated with um, matters of the mind, the sixth house is more considered with matters of the body and having that sort of access sort of working in concert, there's a, a bit of a mind body connection to health problems, which I mean, naturally, you know, when we're sick, we're not so happy mentally or emotionally. But also, you know, when we're not happy or healthy emotionally, uh, that can bleed into our physical health as well. So I would say that theme is going to be, you know, emphasized for, for you. But we also have Jupiter uh, early in 2020 was going through Capricorn. Science not super happy in. And Jupiter in Virgo in your chart is not necessarily super happy either. Um, not that it can't do a lot of great things in Virgo, even in the 12th house, but it's just one of the signs that is a little more difficult for Jupiter to operate in. But we also have the Jupiter and Saturn together in your 12th house. And then uh, sort of a repeat of that in early 2020, where Jupiter and Saturn were together in Capricorn. And then we also had Mars <clears throat> and the South Node, and there would have been eclipses. What has that been in December of 2019? we would have had an eclipse. And then later on that year in Cancer, we would have had eclipses. Um, right, the nodes were going through Cancer and Capricorn at that time, right? Yeah. So then you've also yeah. got a node going through the fourth house in Capricorn, which everything we talked about preceding this question may be relevant here as well, that mm. sense of impermanence. And, you know, especially with the fourth house being kind of um, a house that represents the end of an era and the nodes representing the end of an era in a sense, sort of like I can, I can imagine yeah. it feeling a bit like suddenly reaching your limits. You know, you've got Saturn, you've got the nodes, 
Uh, you've yeah. got the sign of Capricorn being activated. You kind of got all this symbolism going on of reaching your limits or like encountering your limits in some way and sort of mm -hmm. hitting like a barrier where it's like you can't sort of get can't get further than this because something is stopping you. You know, it sounds like in this case, it was physical illness where there's only so much you can do when you're sick. That kind of, yeah. you know, puts everything in life on hold or delays it. One, yeah, everything in Capricorn too, it was opposing your cancer planets, which you have Venus in cancer, which is the ruling planet of your first house. So it carries the significations for you as a person in many ways. Um the body too right the the health of the, the body, body is also yeah. relevant to the first house so you've got a saturn jupiter opposition kind of facing down on you know the planet that represents your physical body and vitality yeah there would have been eclipses around venus as well as well as the moon which also carries a lot of the same significations as the first house just body um self sort of like a secondary you indicator in the chart generally i mean i would generally look for Matters regarding health, sixth house, first house, the moon, the ruler of the first house, all of it's being pinged at the beginning of that year. Mars uh, was also going through Capricorn. It would have opposed Venus at one point and then the moon. And it was just a lot of getting hit hard, uh, I would say, by those transits um, yeah. while that area of life is activated. Well, in the, the midlife crisis piece, too, um, mm. I'm thinking again of the fourth house and that turning point signification. Yeah going through a phase of life and then kind of hitting a crisis point and questioning, you know, how, where you were before and where you're going now. Um, I definitely see the, the fourth house being connected to that sort of like you reach a certain age and it forces you to think differently about your life and, you know, cue the midlife crisis kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There's also, I mean, a, a sense I get just from looking at your, birth chart on its own, not even, you know, considering transits and perfections, Angie is, you know, it, it looks like the birth chart <clears throat> of somebody who is extremely uh, giving and service oriented and self-sacrificing, you know, that uh, stellium in, in cancer and the moon right on the midheaven, sort of like, you know, the midheaven is uh, your public face and sort of, you know, how your reputation and what other people expect of you. And, you know, and you've got the moon and cancer right on the midheaven. Um, Beautiful penthouse. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very lovely. And I imagine it's very lovely for, you know, other people who, you know, want their needs to be, <laughs> to, yeah, who benefit from, you know, your, your ability to empathize and look after their needs. Um, and then, you know, having, uh, Jupiter and Saturn in Virgo, which is also a very service-oriented sign and the very service-oriented, self-giving, self-sacrificing 12th house. Um, sort of like looking at, at that in your chart and then looking at the transits, I get this sense of now that you've sort of reached the limits of what you're capable of giving, maybe the demands of other people start to feel stifling or expectations are too high. You know, you can't, you're not in a position where you can just like easily look after people anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Cause, um, that fourth house year having everything in Capricorn, just opposing everything in cancer. It's like that, like ability to be the caretaker for everyone else. It's like under attack. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it's like suddenly you have to like focus on yourself more um, at a time where on the one hand for probably a lot of people, it was sort of represented an opportunity to focus more on ourselves and our own needs for a lot of people not having to go to work. Um, but I also know just from my own experience, um, also being a single parent is that suddenly, you know, you had to spend all, uh, you had to play like all the roles for your, your children, you know, when you, when everybody had to stay home and they weren't going to school anymore, maybe you're not going to work anymore. Maybe you are working from home as well. And suddenly you have to play teacher and, uh, do 24 hour care for your kid. And that's hard. That's a lot of pressure to be put under. And then when you're already, you know, going through health issues as well, it's like enough's enough, right? Yeah, totally. And then when, you know, that perfection year ended, uh, it's almost like there isn't much of a break um, because, you know, the, the way the Zodiac works is that one Saturn ruled sign precedes the other. Um, so this whole three-year period really from 2019 uh, up until your upcoming birthday this year, every single one of those three years is ruled by a planet hanging out in your 12th house. The fourth house year that was you know 2019 to 2020 um, was ruled by Saturn. And then the fifth house year, um, which would have been 2020 to 2021, the fifth house in Angie's chart is in Aquarius. So that's also ruled by Saturn in the 12th house. So again, you know, you're not really getting a break from either Saturnian themes or 12th house themes, which have a lot to do with, you know, delays and, and limits and obstacles and feeling kind of worn down or slowed down. You know, the 12th house is kind of like the waiting room of life. Like it's, it's a place where we can't really do much. And, you know, it's certainly, health issues are one of those situations in life where, you know, it can feel kind of like being stuck in a waiting room. Like there's lots we would like to do, but, um, our bodies are telling us like, you need to slow down. You need to rest. You need to shut things out. You need to shut down a little bit. And that's a very, very 12th house theme. And then, you know, your current perfection year is a sixth house perfection year. So that of course, you know, directly has to do with issues of health and, um, you know, the limits of the body and just sort of like the ongoing maintenance needs of the body, um, like things that, you know, are not necessarily fun, like eating a really delicious meal is a a fun maintenance need of the body, but, you know, like having to take regular medication or having, you know, like I, I pinched a nerve and had to do like regular, you know, wrist rolls and elbow stretches and stuff. It's like, I would really rather be doing anything else, but that, but those kinds of activities are, are all sixth house related. Oh yeah. But I mean, there's a positive element to that too, is that while the sixth house tends to indicate illness in areas that were vulnerable to illness or injury, um, it's where we also do the work of preventing it or managing illness or or health issues. And then having, you know, Jupiter going through the sixth house at the same time is potentially very helpful while, you know, it is, uh, it's bringing up those health problems. It's bringing them up. It's bringing them up to be identified and perhaps addressed in a maybe more meaningful, constructive and, and kind of concrete way. Cause, uh, you know, maybe leading up to the, this period, it's maybe been harder to, to access, uh, maybe what the issues specifically were, 
but I would think that, you know, Jupiter going through that house being in its own sign, Pisces, uh, at least traditionally, it gives you the opportunity to, to do the work, find the remedies that are going to help you in the long term. And then, you know, finally, after this year, you're going to go into a seventh house year, which is finally going to take, you know, the pressure off of uh, your 12th house. <laughs> you're you're going to be moving from a 12th house space uh, or operating from a 12th house space of, you know, limited agency to a really, in essence, a first house space, because you do have the ruler of that seventh house being Mars and Mars is a planet of action and, you know, taking uh, the bull by the horns, if you will. And uh, Mars can tend to overdo those things, but it's a rather dramatic shift and change of pace from all that 12th house emphasis over the last three years. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting. And I mean, I, you know, I'm very, I'm always uh, hesitant to do any sort of prognosticating because, you know, there's no way of knowing for certain uh, how things will go or, you know, when current circumstances will wrap up. But it is interesting that at least astrologically, you know, your your birthday this year will be astrologically a turning point away from a phase of life that really has to do with kind of sitting in the waiting room um, yeah. and towards a more active, engaged phase of life. So, you know, hopefully that's a, a positive sign. Yeah, definitely. It at minimum different. I mean, it's it may have other challenges of its own, but I would say that I like planets in the in the first house better than the twelfth house overall <laughs> when it comes to being able to do something about about a problem. Yeah, twelfth <laughs> house problems you have to kind of just wait out a lot of the time. It's more about managing uh, how the problem affects you, managing your response to things, mm-hmm. as opposed to actually being able to to alter the circumstances. Not that you have no ability in the twelfth. It's just it's. Uh, you know, you've used the analogy before, Tristan, it's like the walking in snowshoes, you know, up a snowy mountain, uh, while the first house is like, you're in the driver's seat, maybe not necessarily a new Mercedes, but a car with gas in the tank that will get you, you know, moving forward a lot faster. Yeah. You're not hiking through 10 feet of snow anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about the sixth and the 12th houses is that when we're in those places, we don't uh, necessarily feel like we have as much control over our external circumstances. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sort of positive thing about the sixth and 12th houses and about phases of life where those topics are highlighted is that they can kind of force us to turn within um, and, you know, find, um, ways of changing our internal reactions to external circumstances. Um, so that when we do run up against, you know, suffering or delays of one kind or another in our lives, we're able to meet those, um, with a little more inner peace. So focusing on like focusing on your spiritual well-being, I think is always advised when it comes to, uh, years where the sixth and twelfth houses are highlighted um, in your chart. Yeah, that seems to be kind of indicated as well in the chart because you, you do have this um, what we would call a, a mutual reception by exaltation between Mercury and Jupiter, mm-hmm. where Jupiter is in the sign uh, that Mercury exalts in that it's its favorite sign in Virgo. Mercury is in the sign of Jupiter's exaltation in Cancer. So it's like they have access to 
what the other planet really wants, <laughs> what, mm-hmm. what it really needs to do its job really well. And it's sort of through their interaction that you're able to maybe get some better expressions from both planets and Mercury ruling your ninth house, uh, which has a lot to do with spirituality, you know, travel and and lots of things, astrology uh, for one, but ninth house and 12th house can work really well together in that they both have that spiritual component, but the ninth house, it's like getting more outside help from organizations or institutions that you know, maybe have a, a set of, of beliefs already prepackaged for you <laughs> to, um, <laughs> to digest and, you know, consume and incorporate into your, your own life. So that, that could have been a major theme as well throughout the last few years is like finding ways of coping with the challenges that you've been dealing with while, you know, while doing what you can uh, about them while you, when you can. But in the meantime, like just having to find um, ways to, to get through. I, uh, an acquaintance of mine is a member of a Buddhist order, um, Mm. and she practices regular meditation. And I remember her telling me the story about how she came to, uh, this particular Buddhist organization and started this meditation practice. And she was going through a really rough patch in her life, um, where, you know, her partner, uh, was working a really demanding career and they had kids. And so she was kind of like stuck with a disproportionate amount of the childcare, um, and, you know, health problems and, uh, problems at home and just like a, a cluster of stuff, just kind of all, you know, when it rains, it pours kind of thing, kind of thing. Oh yeah. And she started doing this practice and she said, nothing in my life changed you know, I still had, my husband was working hours that were too long. And, um, you know, I was still like doing too much of the domestic labor and the childcare. And, you know, I was still having these issues with my health and with these other areas of life, but my attitude towards it changed. That Ah, was the thing that changed. Um, and she was, you know, able to cope with the circumstances of her life. Um, so I thought, I always thought yeah. that was a really, really good way of putting it where it's like, none of those other things change. Like this practice didn't suddenly turn everything in my life around where now, you know, my partner is at home and, you know, the car isn't broken down <laughs> and, yeah. and all the problems have stopped happening, but I am more capable of responding to those problems. Um, and I just feel like that's sort of a message yeah. that comes directly from the sixth house. Like that's somebody who's deep in the sixth house who has that kind of insight. Oh yeah. Sixth and 12th, really. I mean, it's about accepting the things that you can't change. And really it's through accepting it that you often can, um, or just deal with it in a a way that's better. Well, another thing I noticed too about, uh, Jupiter, who is Angie's time Lord this year, uh, it's the sixth house year, the sixth house and Angie's chart is Pisces. Um, you know, and Jupiter is in the 12th house where, um, you know, things are, are slower and not as active and not as visible, um, not as obvious, but um, Jupiter is really, really closely configured to your midheaven, Angie, like within less than two degrees. And that kind of brings Jupiter out of the 12th house and out into the open of yeah. it. Um, mm-hmm. But that is also one of the symbols that I think um, makes me think like other people's expectations of you maybe are a, a really big theme. And one of the... Oh, yeah. The, uh, sort of conflicts going on at this time because the midheaven can really represent like where 
the, the midheaven is not a solitary spot. It is where we are most visible in the world. And um, there are a lot of relationships uh, that are represented by the midheaven. And, you know, the, the midheaven us, uh, you know, the, the person that other people see um, that gets wrapped up in other people's expectations. And if, you know, something in our inner lives or in our personal lives, you know, down in the fourth house area of the chart changes. Um, sometimes people that we encounter in that sort of midheaven area of our life have a hard time handling those changes because they've come to expect a certain, uh, they've come to expect us to play a certain role in their lives. Um, so I think some of, some of those themes uh, get potentially brought in to these issues as well with Jupiter being so closely configured to the midheaven and Jupiter being activated is just, you know, the extent to which other people see you as, you know, somebody who provides them with something or who is, you know, uh, taking care of, of their needs or who, you know, does certain things at a certain time. And, you know, maybe that's just not either possible or not even desirable anymore. Like, you know, I don't know the specifics of your midlife crisis, but I know, you know, like identity issues when we go through those sort of like major crises at different age uh, points yeah. in our lives, there's often that sort of crisis of identity of like, who am I, who do other people expect me to be? And can I continue to like play that role in the world or is it time for some kind of shift? And if my role in the world changes, um, you know, what does that who am I now? And, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of relationships will best support that? Like, are there people, are there relationships that need to go? Are there uh, new relationships that need to be sought out? You know, it's, it can be a very like destabilizing kind of experience. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I mean, that could be a theme that sort of come up. Um, when you get a, a planet in the 12th house that has that a really nice mitigation like that with that connection with the midheaven you get a little more of the positive 12th house uh where it's people kind of like working behind the scenes or uh spending more time alone you know like uh, doing their best work when they're alone in their office and having such a stacked 10th house too and having the ruler of your first house venus in the 10th house it could be very much like a, a taking on more of a backseat role that might end up helping it's one of many possibilities like just imagining uh possibly like getting to work from home but like maybe no children are at school and actually getting to spend that time alone to recharge and that like really just like being able to yeah let go of like you were saying tristan let go of um maybe some of the roles that you had been playing before that were becoming too burdensome or too um too heavy maybe you're just overdoing it uh overstretching yourself Having Mars in, in the first house can often indicate that that overdoing it um, quality. So just thinking about how Jupiter in the 12th house can work really constructively is like taking more time to rest. Um, maybe not taking on projects or burdens or responsibilities that you know already are going to be too much for you and are going to be hazardous to your your health or mental health. Yeah, and imagine it's not easy for a... Uh... Mars in the first house person to sit still all the time. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a very Maybe go, do, go, go yeah. placement. Like it's time to oh, act. Yeah. 
And that could be like maybe one of the takeaways from the last few years is like the the lesson that like, oh yeah, I have to rest. I have to 12th house. <laughs> I have to, to, to tend to my mental health, my physical health. I have to, to rest. Honestly, 12th house has a lot to do with sleep. <laughs> and, it does. Just, it's the house of sleep. Yeah. Oh yeah. And almost having like the Jupiter in the 12th. Um, and Mars, Mars being a more challenging planet during the day in the first, and then Jupiter being a very positive planet during the day in the 12th is like, yeah, overdoing things <laughs> and burning out and learning like, oh, yes, rest is what I need. I will rest now. I will not, you know, Mars 24-7. But I mean, the, you know, the flip side maybe is that it's not always, I mean, I guess, you know, the first house is our agency, um, but I also think, you know, and I see a prominently placed Mars, it's like, is the person driving themselves too hard or are circumstances demanding too much of them? Oh, you know, yeah. like sometimes it's not, totally. sometimes it's not a choice. You just kind of end up burdened with more than you can handle. And it's through no fault of your own. And that can be yeah. really tough. And I just, I really hope that, you know, you've got good people around you, Angie, and that you're able to find more good people who are able to like give you support so that you can rest. Cause that is definitely the 12th mm. house cure is getting enough rest. Yeah. And you know, that also, and in order for us to be able to rest, we need people around us who are able to take care of stuff. Um, if it's all, Absolutely. if everything is on our shoulders, then we can never rest, even if our, our minds and bodies really need it. So yeah, I really hope mm-hmm. you got people around you who can uh, support you and, and help take care of some of those uh, responsibilities and tasks so you can get some well-deserved rest because being a single parent is no joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I struggle with this all the time where I actually do have a lot of things that I have to do <laughs> and it is hard to find the time to rest, but I know that I get in my own head about it and create more work for myself than is necessary. And it's like giving myself permission to rest. I know it's something that I have to do often. So, you know, the degree to which you can take those opportunities to rest, like take them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, having uh, nice planets in the 12th can indicate um, having other people take care of things for you. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, not necessarily (laughs) it it will show up. Sometimes it's people who like uh, uh, people who are working against you end up working against themselves. (laughs) They end up undoing themselves so that you don't have to. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for your question, Angie, and for sharing your chart with us. And I sincerely wish you all the best. I hope that uh, your upcoming Mars year, things get uh, a little more fun and exciting and and a little less stressful for you. Yeah, rest rest up <laughs> before it starts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely, you know, and, and stay in touch. Let us know how things go. And speaking of which, we we had Jessica from an episode we did, shoot, when was that? November, I want to say? October? It's the Why Pluto episode. And uh, Jessica had sent us a question about finding, you know, what her birth chart was saying about being in a career that was sort of lacking in fulfillment. And uh, we did get um, a message from Jessica recently, and she said that things have gotten better. Uh, we had suggested that uh, she possibly, among other things, uh, might enjoy consulting instead of engineering, which was the, the engineering was the career path that she was not very happy with. And 
uh, she was offered and accepted a job in consulting uh, all in about, it was about two months after we did that episode. And it was very much out of the blue. And she is in a, just a much happier place now in, in the new career field. So I know that made me really happy to hear. It's always nice to hear how things pan out for people. It was really lovely to hear back from Jessica. It's it's really nice to, you know, as, as an astrologer, you often hear from people when they're going through something rough. You know, people yeah. often seek out a tarot reader or an astrologer because something's just not going quite right. And that's, you know, it's usually at those times in life when you want a little more insight or guidance um, from someone mm-hmm. inside yourself. And, you know, so it's nice uh, to hear positive stories, you know, and hear from, you know, somebody who came for a reading and, you know, they were going through a bit of a crisis. And then a couple of months later, um, you know, things get better. It's really nice to hear those stories. Oh, yeah, totally. No, it's, you know, people tend to come when they're going through the struggles. And while you might see things getting better, you don't necessarily hear from them. Yeah. Uh, how it panned out. So it's really lovely to hear that. Yeah. And it's really, you know, why, why we do astrology, why we did the show. Well, I think with that, we'll wrap up the show. Anything, anything going on with you, Tristan? Uh, no, not really. I'm uh, not doing consultations anymore uh, for the time being because I have the North Node close to my Midheaven and Neptune is transiting through there apparently. Uh, my career choices are just always up in the air. So I made the decision that I want to pursue art. You know, I might have an opportunity to have some extra time to pursue something that, you know, isn't necessarily going to pay the bills, but that really, really fulfills me. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to switch focuses for a while and see how that goes. So you'll probably be hearing a bit less of me in the future, but yeah, I got, I got nothing to share. If you, if you want astrology well, services, all of the burden and pressure is now on Kyle. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, um, I definitely want to be seeing some of the fresh Tristan art. Hopefully we'll see some of that on, uh, Instagram or, or some new Instagram, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you can come up with some really other cool Instagram name for art instead. So I like the bad sign thing. I know I'm, I'm proud of that name and I, I'm not going to be able to, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to one up that with an art account. So, but I don't know. I'll probably, I'll probably keep sharing. Like I do my sign design, bad sign design. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I do keep a grimoire of planetary magic that I do. And, you know, I'm still actively practicing planetary magic. So I'll probably still, post some pages from that up on my astrology Instagram account. So I don't think it's going to totally fall out of use, but it will be less about, you know, astrology writing and astrology consulting and more about magic and pretty pictures. (laughs) Well, uh, as for me, I am um, still offering consultations on my website, kylepierceastrology.com. Let's see. I know that uh, I... I already mentioned with the Neptune on my North node is manifesting in me just starting a lot of different projects like all around it. But like, I know that not all of them are going to get done. Like I started designing some t-shirts, um, which may or may not <laughs> appear <laughs> for sale in the future. You can go ahead and check it out. There might be some stuff up there. 
but lots of things in in the um, in the can, some of which will see the light of day. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Is there anything else we want to add? Uh, totally check out um, if you like talking astrology, want to learn about astrology or tarot. Uh, check out the Three of Wands Club on the Clubhouse app. Love to have you there. Shay does the tarot travels room uh, every Thursday at six p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Tristan and I still do the doing the forecast every other week. And uh, I'm going to be doing a uh, getting to know your birth chart group either every Tuesday, every other Tuesday. It's hard to know. I'm going to be a soccer coach this season, so my schedule is a little up in the air at the moment. But we'll be fitting that in somewhere in the week. So if you want to join, we'll be going through a different house every week, and we'll talk about how to read for that house in your own chart, and talk about you know what's showing up in our charts, and you know together we'll learn more about our own charts and everyone else's and astrology in general, and it's a good time. But with that, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time. Yeah, thank you, Colin and Angie, for your fantastic questions. Yes, thank you, Colin. You have a question you would like to hear answered on Astrology Hotline. Email us at astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com.